Welcome to Makers on the Rise, a collaborative podcast hosted by me, maker and photographer, Christina Nicole. Makers on the Rise is for product-based creatives who own their own business and want to learn how to grow a profitable, sustainable, and scalable brand aligned with their personal values and goals. Tune in for real conversations and coaching focused on elevating your brand. Are you ready to rise? Hello, loves. Welcome to episode one of the Thriving on Etsy series. Today, I have Kaylin Priest from the Etsy Seller Goldmine joining me to talk to you about getting started on Etsy and why it is the best platform for makers to start on. Kaylin is the owner of Poppy Seed Play, a modern wooden baby gem company that makes toys that are fun for babies and for parents to look at. In the process of growing her product business to multiple six figures in revenue, Kaylin has recently discovered her true passion project, helping women step into their role as CEO of their own businesses. Kaylin is the mama of two busy kiddos and her weakness is anything mint chocolate chip. Kaylin, thank you so much for joining me today. Can you tell the listeners a little about how you got started as a maker and how you transitioned into coaching makers? Yeah. So we started on Etsy four years ago, selling modern wooden baby gyms. And it's so funny to look back at the, the beginnings of the business. Cause it literally was my husband and I, we just had our first newborn son. So I was like coming off of like pregnancy, like maybe a little bit in the postpartum area zone of life. And we went to home Depot. I had seen a wooden baby gym somewhere, I think on Etsy, Uh, And it shipped from Lithuania and it was like hundreds and hundreds of dollars. And I was like, I bet I could make one of those. (laughs) I think that's how a lot of our businesses start. And so we went to Home Depot, purchased the materials, made one ourselves. We were like, well, it wasn't that hard. I bet we could make some more. So we listed it on Etsy. And so that's sort of how the business began. And then over the last four years, we've expanded the business to, we also sell on our own website now. And we've also expanded to some national retailers so just this year, we are live with babylist.com and with West Elm, and we're coming to Nordstrom in the next couple of months too. So it's been just so crazy to watch this, you know, little hobby business, as we like to say, turn into something legitimate and to provide a full-time income for my family. And it's just been the coolest, awesome, the best experience. And so that's sort of how I decided to start transitioning into a coaching role too, because I found there were so many women like me who were like, I don't really know what I'm doing. Can you just help give me some pointers? And so that has been so fun for me. Like, I feel like that is my happy place is working with women and helping them improve their businesses and make a legitimate income out of it. And so that's, I'm running both right now. Hopefully that won't be the story for forever, but it's, it's working for now and been so much fun. I absolutely love that. Like when you talk about, so you started just saying, Hey, I'm going to do this myself. I'm going to throw it on Etsy. I'm going to see what happens. Did you ever imagine that it would become what it is? No, honestly, I maybe, maybe I look back, I might've had a hope that there could be something there, but I didn't think it was going to be what baby gyms would be like the thing. I just sort of thought is if I just get started down this path, then hopefully some kind of information will come along that will help me see like, oh, this product works better. People like this product better. And I could just sort of hone my product options from Mm -hmm. there. But 
it happened to work and it didn't take off fast. The first year was really, really slow. The first two years, honestly, were really slow. Um, and then honestly, with COVID, we saw a huge spike, which we feel so blessed by. Um, so it's just been sort of, I feel like I'm just watching it grow into its own thing. And I just sort of have to hold on for the ride. Um, so we've just been really blessed, really blessed that way. It's amazing. So I want to talk about that a little bit, because I think a lot of people who start up Etsy and you just mentioned going through the pandemic, um, I believe back in 2019, there was about 2.6 million Etsy sellers and that almost nearly doubled over 2020 to about 4.3. That's correct. Right. I think so. Yeah. So talking about those that are just getting started because they can jump into Etsy with minimal, like I'm talking when I started, I had none, no business experience whatsoever. Um, and talking about one thing I want to talk about today is how huge success on Etsy isn't necessarily the norm. Like when you look at the, uh, the amount of sellers that there are, and you look at, um, some stats in regards to like top selling Etsy shops and all of that. It's not necessarily the norm, but there's such a variety of sellers. And the reason I bring this up is because there's a lot of coaches these days that are saying Etsy, Etsy, no more. Like Etsy is not the place to start. Etsy is oversaturated with sellers. Um, so I want to kind of, I know I'm kind of hemming and hawing around this, but I want to get into just the concept of there are so many sellers on Etsy, but we don't actually have stats in regards to how many are active sellers. So how mm -hmm. many people are actually joining Etsy and then putting their shops on vacation mode? I've been on Etsy for six oh. years. My shops went on vacation mode the past three years. So <laughs> right. I'm technically not an active Etsy seller, but I'm falling into those statistics, right? So yeah. I want to talk a little bit about that. So people that may be discouraged because there are so many sellers when reality, the reality of it is that not all of them are active sellers. So can we yeah. talk a little bit about like why you still think that it is the place is the place to start? Yeah, absolutely. So my first thought is the number of sellers did go like this in the last couple of years, but the number of customers also went like this. Mm -hmm. And so I just think, I still think the ratio of buyers to sellers is still healthy. Um, and I even think too, like I sort of grown into this network of people who are selling exclusively on Shopify and it's, it's always going to be sort of like a pyramid where you have a few sellers at the top who are just raking it in. And then it sort of trickles down and there's a lot of sellers down here at the bottom of the triangle who are, you know, not super invested in it. Maybe they put up their shop and then their kids started school and life got crazy and busy. So many of us have experienced that, right? You and I have mm -hmm. Christina. And so um, so that's my first thought. My second thought is that although there are a lot of sellers on Etsy, there's so many opportunities for, to be found versus where if you're, if you want to start your business, your product business on Shopify and you set up your website and it's all ready to go and you hit live and it's crickets and it's like, <laughs> well, shoot. So that's, that to me is the advantage of Etsy in addition to, I mean, there's pros and cons, right? So with the website, you have to drive all the traffic to it. You can try to do as much search engine optimization as you can, but that's, I feel like that, like Google search engine optimization is getting more and more difficult. 
Um, you can do Facebook ads, you can do Instagram marketing, Instagram ads, email marketing. So that sort of just creates another stack of things that you have to learn and deal with on a website, which are not bad. It just takes time and a lot of mindset energy versus on Etsy, where you can list your product. And as long as you have some kind of a search engine optimization strategy and are using keywords that people are actually searching, they should in theory, and they do find you on autopilot where you don't have to do any kind of marketing to get people there. You can opt in for Etsy ads if you want to, but I like to try to educate my students to learn how to actually use the search engine algorithm to their advantage. So they don't, they literally don't have to pay anything except for that 5% transaction fee when they check out. Yeah. Um, when you're looking at deciding whether you're going to potentially just set up shop on Etsy, or you're going to like move further into expanding like beyond Etsy. Do you have any advice for makers just starting out on Etsy? Um, and when, in regards to like, maybe somebody comes to you and they don't even know what to sell. They just know that they want to start selling mm -hmm. or like, do you suggest that they really focus on, um, like trends or like things that like you had mentioned using keywords that people are actually searching for? Does that apply to the products as well? Like, I think a lot of creatives come into the situation thinking I want to be unique. I want to put my own creative spin on it. Um, not that you can't have success with that, but when it comes to using Etsy to its fullest advantage, are we talking about creating products that are, that are trending, that are being searched? Yeah. I think you sort of have to find the happy medium, right? Cause you can launch your jewelry Etsy shop and there's so many jewelry sellers. And so, although I think, I mean, obviously there's a lot of sellers and there's a lot of jewelry customers too. So it's not like you should not start an Etsy shop. There's just, that's information that's helpful to know. But in addition to that, I think it is wise for sellers to really, to figure out what their, what they want their unique selling proposition to be. So mm -hmm. while I don't think it's totally, I don't, I wouldn't discourage you from starting an Etsy shop. I would encourage you to just put a little bit more brain power into identifying something that makes you different somehow. And even if that's just a fast turnaround time, or maybe it's that you offer free shipping, those are becoming less and less unique, but yeah. things to think <clears throat> about, or do you want your jewelry to be different in the way that it's bright and colorful, or do you want your jewelry to be different in the way that it can be personalized, you know? So again, some of those things aren't as unique anymore, but I think it's important for sellers to identify something, something that makes you different from everyone else out there. And how can you teach people why that makes you cool? Okay. And you think that that helps kind of set yourself apart on Etsy that will help you thrive to grow on Etsy um, even if you're, you know, selling something that may not be like in high, high demand. Um, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think if you, I, I personally, if I was starting another Etsy shop, I would start something that isn't so saturated for me personally. But in addition to that, I personally believe that any Etsy shop can be successful, even if they sell the most weirdest random product. And I've said, seen so many Etsy shops. I'm trying to think of a crazy example. There's a shop that I found that sells taxidermy mice with different mm. costumes on them. And they have thousands and thousands of sales. 
And so I just like, as the more and more I go down this road, I sort of think that it, your product, you can still sell a super unique product as long as you can get it in front of the right people. And it can be the most random, obscure product. So that to me is like, I think there's advantages and disadvantages in both places, whether you do want to go like, I'm going to sell the product that everybody's searching for and just ride the trend. Or if you're like, this is a product that's really fun for me to create that I'm passionate about, that maybe not as many people will buy, but I can still make legitimate business out of it. I think those are two different healthy business models, both with their own pros and cons. Yeah. You talk about like passion versus like profit when you, after working with like, um, you know, tons of makers, do you see a like one over the other, like, Hey, I just want to make money. So I'm going to, like you said, ride the trend. I'm going to pick the trendiest thing. Or do you see a lot of people who prefer to start an Etsy shop doing something that they love? Like if you're talking to like a stay at home mom, cause I know that's like your, your go-to right mamas mm-hmm. and they just want something for themselves. Like I remember when I started my Etsy shop, I had been a stay at home mom for and I guess my oldest was probably five at the time, but I had been like a stay at home wife prior to that because my husband was military. Mm-hmm. He was traveling all the time. We were moving all the time. And I just like, as much as I loved being a mom and how rewarding that was and being a wife and taking care of everybody, I just wanted something for myself. Right. And it's like, if somebody's just craving something for themselves, like how would you go about kind of deciding what you want to like possibly sell and make on Etsy? Like if you just want something for yourself, something that you can feel proud of, how would you tell somebody to go about getting started on Etsy? What I would say is I would sit down with a piece of paper and a pencil and just start dumping out some of the ideas in your mind, because I really like to find a place where we can sort of marry the two, like a product that people are actually searching for, but a product that's really fun for you too. Cause I do every once in a while have students come through my course who are like, I just want to sell something and I want to sell a lot of it and I want to do it fast. And some of them do that, but I, it seems to me like that sort of a strategy is a little less sustainable. Mm-hmm. Um, when you do ride the trends and you ride the waves, you know, they go up, but they also come back down too. And so again, pros and cons to both different ways of doing it. Um, but what I would encourage you, if you're that mom who's sitting at home and you're like, I need a creative outlet in my life, I'm going crazy, which was totally me. Probably it sounds mm-hmm. like you too, Christina. I would get out a piece of paper and a pencil and just start brain dumping all the ideas in your head about products that you could somehow acquire to resell, about products that are already living in your house that you, for a random reason, have a lot of that you could resell. I think in my friend's mom has bins and bins of different colors of ribbon. She could immediately list those on Etsy and begin selling those. She could bundle them together in different color combinations. She could, she could make like wreath strands out of those. You know, it's, it just takes a little bit of brainstorming and creativity to figure out how to do, how to create an actual product that you could sell and list out things that you've created before that you could create again, list out things that you shop for often um, that was sort of how I started my business was I was shopping for a baby gym and I couldn't find one in the price mm-hmm. point that I was looking for. So I found a hole in the market. You don't necessarily have to find a hole though. It could just be something that's really fun for you or something that would be easy for you. That's my next, my next thing is what would be the path of least resistance? What's something that you could start immediately or in the next couple of weeks if possible? Cause we want to sort of capitalize on that 
on the creative juices and on the creative momentum before you start to like get burned out and distracted by things. Um, but that's my favorite thing is just to get out a piece of paper. And even if you say, I'm going to lock my kids out of this room or turn on a movie for them for 15 minutes or wait till after they go to sleep and really spend 15 minutes letting my brain do the thing that it was designed to do and be creative and come up with something amazing. And I think a lot of sellers don't give themselves the opportunity to do that. And they don't let their brain show them that they are capable of finding solutions themselves. And I've just watched so many sellers go through that process. And they're like, I came up with this idea and I had no idea like that I could do this. And so I think that's really empowering too, when it's not, you're not going to sit down with a coach who's going to hold you through this process of choosing a product to sell. You can do it on your own. You are capable. You have a wonderful functioning brain and whatever it comes up with is going to be great. That's what I would suggest. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. I think it's hard to find that the medium or the balance between like wanting to do something that makes you money, if that's the goal versus like finding that passion, because I don't know if, if it was the same for you, but so quickly, you know, you start on Etsy and it's almost like if you're, if you're working towards it, like you're really putting that time and effort in, it's almost like it blows up for you at some point. And then you're kind of like struggling, like, okay, wait, what do I do? Like, how do I keep up with this? And it's hard. I know for me, it was hard to find kind of like that balance of, okay, I want to grow. I want to scale this business, but I also am so tired of making the same thing over and over again. So Uh what what would your advice be there? Like just, you know, you're, you're starting on Etsy, you're getting going, you're starting to get that momentum and now some of like the creativity is kind of being pulled from it. Um, if that's, you know, a lot of makers who start, they want to just, like you said, that creative outlet, um, what would be your advice, advice there? I think everyone is going to have their different thing that is fun for them. Like I have a friend who sell, she has this great product business for her. It really fills her up to like package her products and ship them out. She loves doing that. And I'm like, Oh man, (laughs) that was the first thing that I hired someone to help with. So I think I would, it takes a little bit of personal identification of what makes you personally happy and what brings you Mm -hmm. joy and what your zone of genius is. For me, producing the actual baby gyms, which we, my husband and I built every single one for a year and a half. We made like 650 baby gyms, (laughs) but we're not craftsmen. We have very, very little experience with woodwork. So for us, the option, the best option was to find a manufacturer who could make them. And we were so scared to do that, but it turns out that the quality was actually a lot better than what my husband and I were making. It was cheaper. It saved so much time and it, it opened up space and time for us to reallocate our brains to different things. Um, so that's one example. We chose to outsource our manufacturing. After that, we chose to outsource our packaging and shipping. And that's because, I mean, if I was a craftsperson and I love the process of making a baby gym, I may have stayed there in that land for a mm-hmm. long time, or maybe I would have hired more people to help me produce products. For me, I realized when I sort of shifted my attention to more of like the business management side, I was like, this is really fun for me. I love learning how to do the marketing. I love the customer service. I love the product photography. I've outsourced many of those things now. So I kind of, I kind of see it as like, you're, you like make progress along this path and then 
you sort of like things fall by the wayside and you hire someone to either pick them back up for you or they just fall to the wayside. Um, but yeah, I think it's important for you to keep identifying what your happy place is. If producing your product is your happy place, maybe you could simplify the design so you can produce more of them. Maybe you could teach a course on how to produce them. Maybe you could create like a PDF guide to teach people how to make things so you can live in that area a little bit longer, but still scale your business. So I think there's a lot of different opportunities and avenues to do that. Even if you hate producing your product or maybe you love it, you can kind of, you have different options. Yeah, definitely. But I think overall the transition into like, how is that for you transitioning into actually hiring people? Because for, for me, even to this day, I'm just like, nope. I want complete yeah. control. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm the only one that could do it right yes. now. My husband did yes. help, but I was there, you know, monitoring, of course. So yeah. how is that for uh-huh. you transitioning into that? Oh man. I look back and I just see so many like growing pains. <laughs> it's like in your business, you make progress and then you run into another hurdle that you have to jump over mm-hmm. and then you make progress and you run into another hurdle that you have to jump over. So that was one of them for me a couple of years ago. Like I think of what we chose to do. So for example, outsourcing our manufacturing was basically a way to hire people. And it was absolutely terrifying. We'd never paid that much money for anything before because mm-hmm. when you, we chose to outsource overseas. And so we had to place an order. I think our first order was a thousand baby gyms. And that was a good chunk of change. We were living with our parents. We had no money in the first place. We were trying to save for a house. So it was like, do we dare reallocate this chunk of change to investing in this business? And we're buying more baby gyms and we've even sold to the state. So that was terrifying. <laughs> and yeah. we tried it and it luckily we had a good experience and it worked out. I think for outsourcing and hiring people, it's sort of been the same thing too. And a lot of us, because we're creatives, this business is our baby. We do have a lot of the control, like I built it this way. No one else can do it the way that I have, which is, you know, people probably could actually do it better than you if you'd give them an opportunity to, but it's, it's scary. I get it. It's scary to invite someone else in and give them a piece of it and let them take the reins. But I've been lucky, I guess, that I haven't had any bad experiences yet, but I do think that I think you have to sort of face the truth at some point or another, like in order for your business to grow, you have to have help somehow. Mm -hmm. And it can look different. Maybe it's just hiring someone to come in and watch your kids for PR. Maybe it is hiring someone to come in and pack your products. Um, Maybe it's hiring someone for you, like to write blog articles or to help you post stuff on YouTube. Like there's a lot of different ways to do it. But for me, that has just been the inevitable truth that you can't do it by yourself and you have to find help at some point or another. And you have to find, like you said, you have to figure out where your zone of genius is and you have to figure Mm -hmm. out where to get help where it's going to bring you the most joy because the first thing, which is interesting, first thing that we kind of outsourced was our kids. <laughs> like, you, mm-hmm. like you said, like hiring, yeah. you know, a sitter to come in the house, which we were there too, but just to keep them entertained and all of that. And then it got to a point where they were coming in multiple times a week. And I felt like I wasn't spending any time with my kids. And that was like a loss of joy there. So it's like, how can you, and it's all of that learning process of going through, okay, is this going to work for me? Is that going to work for me? But one thing I want to talk about quick, because I think that this is um, something a lot of makers deal with, especially with your specific um, niche or niche, however you pronounce it. 
um, moms in general, but going, getting past that fear. So let's talk a little bit about the fear of the unknown and the fear of moving forward and doing something bigger, you know, than ourselves. But also I think that there's this lack of belief that we can be meant for more as moms. And can we talk on that a little bit? Because I think that's huge when people are just getting started and they're starting to see some of the success and, but they almost feel like it's not deserving or they shouldn't move forward with it. Oh my gosh. So huge. And I look back, I was going through that. It was just a couple of years ago. Like I remember, um, we had Grant and then we had our second baby. They were about two years apart with Grant. I could pretty much rock the, like I'll work while he naps, I'll work while he sleeps and I could get everything done that I needed to. When you have a second one in the mix, that becomes a little more complicated because they don't nap at the same time and they don't sleep. So then all of your work time is gone. So that's the point again, where I was sort of like pushed to this point where I was forced to find a different option. So that's when we hired a babysitter for our kids for a few hours a week. And gosh, like I look back at that is probably the single biggest thing that held me back. Honestly, Christina, like I didn't believe that I was capable of building a legitimate business. I didn't believe that I could be a mom and be a business owner that I was going to be forced to choose between the two. And so I always felt like this struggle and like fear of what if, am I neglecting my kids? Am I neglecting my business? You know, all of that. So much mom guilt, so much fear of wasting my time on something that wasn't that important in the grand scheme of things, but was so fun for me. And I felt guilty mm-hmm. about that. So much guilt, so much pressure from society that I should do this or should not do this. I don't know. It sounds like you've experienced a lot of that. Too, Can we talk but... about that for a quick second? The, the... Yeah, so I don't know about you, but when I first started, like I was bound and determined that I was going to show people that I could do it all and I could look damn good doing it. I could run the business. I could take care of the kids (laughs) and still have dinner on the table by five. Like, and that was like, that was like my driving force. And it was so, 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 so for the wrong reasons. And I realized that a couple of years into my business, when the business kind of became out of control and I was working 12 hour days and I was sleeping three hours a night because I had to work, you know, outside of the kids being awake and taking care of family Mm -hmm. and the reality of looking good, doing it all. Like, I was like, why, why am I doing this to myself? Who is it for? Like, what is the point? Yes. What is the point? And like, I feel like, I feel like I was doing that too. I almost felt like people were asking that question for me. Like, what is the point of what you're doing, Kaylin? This is the weirdest randomest business, like wooden baby gym. Seriously. Are you making anyone's (laughs) life better by doing this? Maybe, maybe not for a few minutes. I believe (laughs) for five minutes that mom can set her baby down. Her life is better. But for me, it was like, but it's so fun for me and I really enjoy it. And so how can I find a way to to do everything. And like I said, for me, it came down to just asking for a ton of help from my Mm -hmm. husband who he also works full-time. He doesn't work for poppy seed play right now. So he has his own job and we have two kids. Like we have a house to manage. There's a lot of things to do. So I asked for a lot of help from him. I asked for help from our babysitter. We've hired a couple of contractors to help me with like, basically as my assistants to help me do whatever. Um, But yeah, I totally felt like a major struggle, like an identity struggle, like 
but if I, if I work, then I'm a working mom. But if I stay home, then I can't do the thing that's really fun for me and brings me joy too. And I think the specifically for moms, if there's someone listening to this, who's like, this is so me, I'm so living in mom guilt land. What really sort of turned the key for me in my brain was that First of all, I'm not a bad person for having fun doing something that's not hanging out with my kids all day long. Mm -hmm. And I think I believe that for a long time. Like I should have so much fun hanging out with my kids that I don't want to do anything else, but that wasn't true for me. So because it's not, that doesn't mean I'm a bad person. It actually means that I have a lot that I can offer to the world is sort of how I flipped it on its head. Two, I can still be a really great mom, even if I'm not there 24 seven. And I've also learned I'm actually a better mom because I'm fulfilled and because I'm having joy doing my work in the morning time. I have time that's allocated for my work. I have time that's allocated for my kids. So I don't have to live in both lands anymore. So I guess that's maybe as a plug for finding childcare, (laughs) but also (laughs) just that you don't have to, that guilt. I also learned this recently too, that that feeling of guilt is a manufactured emotion that keeps us compliant with something. Mm-hmm. And I never heard that before. I just thought guilt was any emotion, like feeling happy or sad. But once I learned, like, this is my, I guess my spirit or my identity, feeling like it's clashing with something that I feel pressure from somewhere and really digging into that. I have friends who have been to therapy over this and mm-hmm. it's hard to walk through and work through. I have a lot of book recommendations that have really helped me too. But yeah, I for sure feel that struggle and Although now I feel like I'm sort of on the other side of it. When I look back, it's like, oh, that was hard. That was a really, but that was a big part of your success, right? Like that was a big part that led to your success. Like you mentioned the word identity. And I think that right there is super important because I know for myself, Brene Brown is one of my favorite. I went through all of her books when I had like started my business, but, um, I think when I started my business, I had this false sense of my own identity. And as Mm -hmm. I started to work the business, I was challenged with different things that challenged my identity, or I Mm. was put in a position to where like, you know, you had societal pressures or you had different things of what we were supposed to do. And even now, like, you know, you talk, you look at success in our industry, it's six figures, it's seven figures, it's all of that but it's such success is such a personalized experience. And I think one of the best things that I ever did for myself and for my business direction was to get clear on my values, my goals, my identity, what I personally wanted myself and not caring what anybody else thought and really getting clear and defining what those goals and those values and how I wanted to live my life, you know, what that looked like for me and moving forward based on that, not based on, you know, what we should be doing. Can you speak to that at all? Yeah. Like I, I think you said that so well, that it really is so individual and personal. And I feel like for a long time, I was looking for the coach or the mentor or the person who could just like, tell me what to do. I still feel like I'm looking for that person sometimes, but I realized that if I'm looking for someone else to tell me how to do it, they're going to tell me how to do it their way. I don't want to do it their way. I want to do it my way. And even though that's terrifying, cause I have no experience, like, do I want to do it my way? <laughs> I don't know. But I feel like I, that's sort of 
again, like I feel like it's all just little growing pains that you go through. And I love to say that having a business has been the best personal development experience that I have ever Mm. been through. Like I've learned so much about myself. I've been forced to so many of these walls that you and I are talking about. And you either are forced to quit or forced to learn how to overcome and keep going. And it's okay if like, (laughs) I mean, for some people, maybe there is a point where they're like, this is too much for me. And I need to take a step back from this. Or for other people, it's like, I need to learn something new to overcome this. And so it stinks that it's, it is such a constant struggle, but that's sort of the beauty of it to me. And at every single turning point, I've learned more about myself. I've learned more about my identity and sort of been able to weed out what I want my identity to actually be versus what I think other people want my identity to be. And my business has pushed me to those points more than almost anything else I've ever done besides motherhood. You said that perfectly about the personal development because it's so true. And mentioning coaches, like I, when I worked with my first coach, I clung to every single word that they mm-hmm. said. Like it was liquid <laughs> gold. Like it was the only option, the only thing that I could possibly do. And I think the same thing, moving into getting clear on your own identity, getting clear on your goals and what it is that you want for your business and understanding like what's important to you. Like if you, like you are an Etsy or I'm sorry, uh, Instagram, like Instagram's your jam. Instagram is not necessarily my jam. Like (laughs) I am like fighting it tooth and nail, but if you have like a coach telling you, like you have to be on Instagram to be successful, right? Cause that's what they're going to tell you. Cause that's the method that worked for them. So really getting like clear on what your goals are or what the, you know, what you how you want to show up in your business, all of that really helps to choose who you want to work with, you know, as a coach so that you can, you know, mesh well, like that's their experience. Like as a coach, like this is, this is what worked for me. This is how I've been successful. Um, it may or may not work for your business, depending on what type of product you sell, depending on what your zone of genius is, however that works. But what's your advice when it comes to like, if you like, my advice is always to jump right in and start working with, with someone as you build your business, because it's so nice to get that shortcut and to just get a clear understanding. What would be your advice for somebody who wants to start off right on Etsy? Yeah, I do think it's valuable to get some sort of training or education about how does Etsy actually work and how can I instead of just throwing spaghetti at the wall and just seeing if it works, how can I actually learn from someone who's done that for a long, long time? <laughs> I just sort of paved that way for me. That's how I feel. Cause I didn't pay for my first course till I was like two years into my business. And actually the first course that I paid for was the, like the title of it was helping you transition off of Etsy onto Shopify. So I was again, still in this mindset that like, you can't build a legitimate business on Etsy and I started my Shopify shop, thought I would shut Etsy down, but Etsy still sells. It does 50% of our revenue. So we still run both. And it's like, cool, now I have two streams of revenue. Um, but I wish that I would have done that a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot sooner. I paid for a course like a couple weeks in when I was first starting and it was honestly really poorly done. And so I think that's what like turned me off to it. Like mm-hmm. it was a little bit, I don't know, it was a little bit scammy. Um, so I felt a little bit discouraged about courses and then took that one 
two years ago that literally like changed my life <laughs> and made life so much better for me. And so that's sort of where the passion behind the course that I created now, which is let's help you find a happy place on Etsy. Like I took a course that helped me grow my Etsy business into Shopify, but I want to help that woman, like you said, who's at home, who's drowning in laundry and cooking and cleaning and is like, can I just do one fun thing for myself? I want to help that woman make an income from the thing that makes her happy. And so that's sort of where my course is crafted. Like I'll walk you through how to pick that product to sell. I'll walk you through how to actually get it on Etsy and optimize it for Etsy's algorithm so that you can actually get customers on Etsy without having to do marketing and all of those things. So I for sure think there is value from sort of finding a mentor or a friend or someone who's been there and done that who can help you skip skip the spaghetti throwing. And I say it now, like if I were to start the same business that I started, I could probably do it in six in like six to 12 months, what's taken me mm-hmm. three to four years just from what yeah. I know now. And do you account a lot of that too? Like, I know you had said it took you a while the first couple of years. So once you started working with a mentor or a coach, yeah, do you feel like that's yeah, when your I'm, growth really you know, started? Yep. You know what? You're exactly right. Like you can see, if you go back and look at my Etsy stats, you can see like significant little jumps mm-hmm. and outsourcing our manufacturing was one of those and investing in my first course and in myself for the first time was another huge one for sure. And that's just something that I don't know if it's like, I don't know if it's the mentality of the maker because a lot of us are DIY people, right? So we're going to, we're going to find the means and we're going to do it ourselves. We're going to look at those free resources. And then I think it also goes back into just that position of, you know, being not believing that we deserve to have something for ourselves and to invest in ourselves. But I look at the people that I personally know that are successful in the terms of the industry. Let's put that out there. Like the six figures, the seven figures, and all of them have worked with different coaches and they've invested in the shortcut. And especially the ones who have shortened their timeline and done it a lot faster. Um, So I think that, do you have any words for people to get over that hurdle of, Hey, like not having money is one thing, but just feeling like, Hey, I can figure this out myself. Um, or like, I really don't need to spend that money on, on, on myself. Like, do you have any advice when it comes to that mindset? Yeah, I think, um, just like you said, I think there's probably more layers underneath that of like, do I believe that I'm actually capable of building a legitimate business? Do I believe that it's okay for me to do that? And like, yeah, I think there's, there's definitely some, some mindsets there. Um, but I think it's like a, a good course or a good coach or mentor is exactly what you said. They like collapse time where mm-hmm. I'm going to help you. I'm just going to tell you all the things that I know now so that you don't have to spend literally three years figuring them out on yourself by yourself. Yeah. I think a lot of us do have that DIY mentality. We're like, I'm going to save all the money. I'm going to do it myself. And I'm going to show that I can, you can, that's how I did it. It just takes forever. And then once I started (laughs) investing, once I paid for that first course, uh, I have become like, a a big fat course geek. And now I buy courses like crazy or I have, I've like got to dial it back because I have purchased so many courses and invested so much money in my education. But that's because I've 
had a personal witness of like, holy cow, mm-hmm. look at how much I learned. Look at how much I grew. I don't want to, I don't want to do it the DIY way anymore. <laughs> like that just takes so much time. It's so exhausting. So that's sort of been my experience. And, but I think there is, um, like you said, I think it's important to find the right course and the right coach that like fits with the direction you want to take your business. I, I paid $2,000 for this really dumb course. It was basically a $2,000 learning experience for me about how to drop ship products from China, where you just list them on a website, people buy them, they ship them directly from China to the customer. It did not align with how I wanted to grow my business at all. Mm-hmm. But I saw a great all example. these testimonials. I saw all these testimonies of people making all this money. And I was like, I know how to list stuff on Shopify. I'm going to do that and start my $2,000 in a day at Shopify website in a week. And I just, like you said, I just felt like I was constantly like fighting against, this isn't what I want to do. This isn't fun for me. This isn't honestly, like it's not sustainable for myself. And so, yeah, that was a $2,000 learning experience that I need to be more careful about identifying what I actually want my business to be instead of mm-hmm. how can I make a quick buck? Yeah. Cause when you, again, back to that identification, when you can identify what your goals are and even I, I believe a lot of it comes in like to value. So I've made the mistake as well. I've got a course uh, graveyard that some courses I haven't even finished <laughs> yeah. because they just didn't feel aligned. Um, yeah. but when I go to work with a coach now, cause it never stops, you know, mm-hmm. our investment just becomes higher and higher it's as we continue money. to grow. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> um, but I always, I always spend time with them and I think, okay, is this somebody that I could be friends with? Like, do we, yeah. you know, kind of, you know, laugh at the same things? Do we feel the same way about certain things, you know, could we be friends? Is this somebody I could hang out with a lot? Because in all reality, going through their course and depending on if you're working one-on-one with them or doing any kind of coaching with them, you know, in a group setting or anything like that, you're going to spend a lot of time with them. So can we be friends? And then also looking at the method that brought them success, is that something that I would be willing to do? Like, does the value lie? And I'm assuming inside that $2,000 course, there was something that they were telling you to do that you're like, "Eh, that's, that's, that's either like, you know, icky sleazy, you know, slimy gross to me, or like, that's just not something that, you know, my goals are aligned with, like really just kind of getting to know that. Exactly. Yeah. I couldn't have said that better. If you could pick one thing that you think has led to you thriving on Etsy, what would that be? Maybe I'll mention this one since we haven't already talked about this, but when I first launched Poppy Seed Play, the name of it was actually Piggyback Play. And our logo was these bright colors because I love color and like cutesy little patterns. And I felt really great about that. And the products that we launched were bright, colorful toys and bright, colorful mats because that's what I personally love. Uh, Listed Actually, so I listed all those on Etsy and I also just on a whim purchased this other material. I was hand making everything at this point, hand making the gyms, hand making the toys, hand making the mats. So I went to the fabric store, purchased a bunch of different types of fabrics that I loved. And just on a whim, I was like, people like neutrals. I'll just grab this one that's white with little tiny black triangles, make a mat out of that. And then I'll have like a variety of products for people to choose from. Well, no one ever touched any of the other mats besides the one that was white with black dots. And that one sold over and over and over and over and none of the, (laughs) nobody touched any of the other ones. And I was like, 
why is no one buying these? They are so cute. So instead of me coming to my Etsy shop and being like, well, I guess this is just not successful. I guess I'm just not cut out for business or I guess people just don't like my products. Instead, I decided to use that as information and data to go off of and said, wow, turns out people really like black and white. Maybe I'll list some more products that are black and white and just see what happens. So then instead of choosing really bright, colorful prints, I chose really neutral prints and those ones sold really well. And then it was like, hmm, I wonder if I should make my toys neutral as well. And so that's something that I think has led to my success is just listening to our customers, just watching what watching their behavior. They would send me messages all the time like, can you make this in, they wouldn't ask for neutral prints, but they would say, can you make the hanging toys with just white beads? Or can you make the hanging toys with black and white beads because my baby can see black and white contrasting colors better? And so I could have said, no, I can't do that. I like that is it doesn't fit with my product offering. It was like, oh, is that what people actually want? Sure, I can create that. And then sort of honing our product offering after that. And now everything we touch is just neutral. (laughs) And so that's because I learned and I listened to my customers and figured out what they were actually liking. And instead of instead of choosing my product based on my personal preferences. So that's something that I would suggest is watch and listen and learn from your customers and their behaviors. What are they asking you about? What are they sending you messages about? What are they complaining or saying in their reviews? What are they, what products are they purchasing over and over? That's very useful information that you can capitalize on. It's so funny you mentioned that because that is, I, I believe the core of like the one thing that like completely made our shop grow tenfold. And that was listening to like actually communicating with the customer. So many, so many Etsy sellers don't communicate with their customers because Etsy sends out those emails, right? They send out the email confirmation that the order went through. They send out the shipping confirmation, but communicating with your customers gives you that opportunity to get to listen to their requests or, you know, involve them in the process. And one thing, and it's not just with your product it can be with your service. And for us, our value proposition came with our service. Like we noticed that so many people were requesting like quick shipping, like they wanted, we sold wood signs that were mostly establishment signs and they were mostly sold as wedding gifts. And we, Mm. they wanted that quick turnaround because they were like a last minute shopper, like, oh crap, I've got to go to this wedding and I completely forgot to order something. So we actually revamped the whole shop and went back through and looked at all of our bestsellers, looked at all of our bestselling designs, colors, all of that. And we ended up streamlining our production process to where we just had to pull it from the shelf and personalize it. And we offered one to three day processing and no other wood sign personalized wood sign company was doing that. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling yeah. you our not only were we able to price premium because of that. Yeah. Yep. We, our sales just took off. So that I is, that. I love that. Wonderful advice. I love that. I love that. Anything else you want to add? This is my last thing, I guess. I'm going to just make this really complicated. I really, really love selling on Etsy and I'm so grateful that's the place that I started, but I would never encourage a seller to say that's the end, end all be all of your brand. I think I really love, and I'm grateful for the way that I approached Etsy with a very open mindset of like, if there's somewhere else that's better to sell, I'll go there. But instead it was, I'm going to start on Etsy. I'm going to use it like my sandbox to test stuff out. Cause it's just so easy to throw up a listing in five seconds. And once I have my product, like my flagship product offering really honed, 
maybe then I'll open a website and I'll start selling on a website. And then once we did that, there was like, maybe we could start drop shipping to retailers. And so I would never encourage a seller to be so close-minded that I would say, don't ever sell anywhere but Etsy. I just think it's a really healthy, happy starting place because so many of the barriers are removed. But once you do, like once you figure out what that product is that sells really well, like you said, once you figure out a process, I like to say, nail your product, nail your processes, and then start expanding the brand. And that's a way to scale your business, right? It's just to sell in multiple places. So, and even if you are that seller who's like on day one, you're like, that does not apply to me, Kaylin. It actually does because having that long-term mindset of potential ways to grow this product and grow this brand can really inform the way that you make those first steps. So that's like, if I could write a game plan for every single entrepreneur, that's what I'd be. Test it out on Etsy. Once it rocks on Etsy, then launch it on your website, then start doing wholesale and all those fun things. And for us, that's been a great path that's worked really well. I absolutely love that. And I have never heard anybody explain it that way. Like, because Etsy does, it brings you customers. It provides all of that for you and use it as a, utilize it as a place to kind of narrow, narrow down your offering Mm -hmm. and then expand. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Kaylin, for joining me today and for talking with us about how to get started on Etsy and how to thrive on Etsy. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to do that. You're welcome. I love it. Ask me anytime. I'll talk about this all day. (laughs) If you want to hear more from Kaylin, you'll find her hanging out over on Instagram at kaylin.priest. That's K-A-E-L-Y-N-N dot P-R-I-E-S-T at kaylin.priest. Are you ready for more clicks and more sales on your Etsy listing? Attract more customers and make them feel confident in purchasing from your shop with product photos that look professional, connect, and communicate the most important information. Transform your Etsy listing product photos with the Etsy Photo 5-Day Challenge at etsyphotochallenge.com. That's etsyphotochallenge.com.